You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the podcast. We have an individual who actually I've had the luxury of coaching against um, for the last six or seven years. And this guy has 32 years of coaching experience. And I got to tell you, this episode, he dove into the technical aspects of single block coverage. So single blocking, one-on-one blocking. You know, and we always say when when it's a one-on-one situation, the offense is supposed to score. But he his technique and the way that he teaches his players how to single block is so phenomenal that it reduces the offensive opportunity to score significantly. And after going through this with him, it, it blew, it, even for me, I've never been taught it this way. I've never even thought about it this way. So I was super excited to bring him to the podcast to share with you all how he teaches his athletes to do single block coverage, as well as we talk about some offensive things and some other cool gems that he has. He's been coaching for 32 years. So you can imagine the amount of knowledge that this individual has. Um, so it's an episode you definitely are going to want to take some notes for. You want to listen to it a couple times because there's a lot of takeaways. It's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball in the books. And unfortunately, for those of you that have been following along, uh, my men's team, our season has come to a abrupt stop in the league, I guess you can call it that. We had a tough one out. We traveled four and a half hours to losing three. Unfortunately, that's what happens when you have young teams, I guess. But we'll do a nice debrief of that later on. Today is not about my team. Today, I am super excited to welcome a guest. Um, actually, before we welcome this guest, for our new listeners, welcome to the podcast. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And to my regular listeners, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode where the goal, just like every, every other episode, is to deliver valuable tangible step-by-step strategies that you can take back to your gym and apply right away. And I guarantee you, you're going to be able to take things back from today's episode. So I am privileged to be, to have on the podcast, a former, uh, well, not former, but a a competitor, uh, a coach that I coach against in the league for the last six, seven years. Um, He is the head coach of Canador College, and he's been the head coach of that program since 2014 when he took over. So what is that, nine years now? He's been there for about nine years, or going to be 10. And he, um, I, I, when looking up stuff for this uh, this coach's profile, I noticed that he's a director in soccer as well, and I don't know if you can talk about that. Or just, uh, this, he's, this guy's a, he's a wealth of knowledge. But um, I will tell you, you know, we've had a chance to have conversations uh, you know, over the last six, seven years. And there was a conversation we had recently about just some technical stuff. And I was blown away by just the simplicity of, of how he was teaching his athletes uh, certain things. And I'm like, this guy has to come on the pod and share it with, you know, the thousands of coaches that listen to this. So without further ado, I'm super excited to welcome Mr. Mark Hopper. Mark, what's up, man? How much? How are you doing, Brian? Sorry to hear about... Uh... 
your uh, end of season like ours, uh, you know, I have to say, uh, Brian, you know, all the time you're putting into your program, uh, you know, when it comes to an end, no one really asks about the coach and, uh, the coach has to go through a lot of, uh, mental stuff when the season's over. Like, what did I do that I could do better next year? Or what could right. I do to have a better season? So anyway, I, uh, I appreciate uh, you and the time you put in for your program for your athletes. So. Oh, well, thanks, man. I, I appreciate that, man. It means a lot. You're right. It's, it's, it takes a toll. Definitely takes a toll. I got to say young family, you know, we got a five and a two and a half year old and it's, it's, it's rough, but, but it's, it's also rewarding in a sense too, when they get a chance to come to the games and watch and see, and, and, and you know, I, I see, I'm starting to see the love for the sport through their eyes. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Shout uh, out to uh shout out to all coaches and their families. I mean, without yeah. that support group, uh, we aren't able to go try to do what we got to do for young people, you know? You're absolutely right. No, hundred percent. Well, you want to tell the tell our listeners a little bit about your background, you know, how you got into coaching volleyball, and you know your your story up until this point. Yeah, well, I started coaching in 1992 when I was playing volleyball at Laurentian University. Um, my the captain at the time, Curtis Van Wellingham, asked me if I'd help him with the Lady V's club team in uh 1992 and and since then you know i i coached candor for two years in uh 97 and 98 and then i shifted over to nipissing university from 99 to 04 and then finishing my masters of education i went into coaching high school for 10 years and then as you had mentioned i returned to uh the varsity program 2014 and man, that was an eye opener. The game had evolved so much in like, you know, a short amount of time that, you know, I thought that going back to coaching varsity would be like it was when I left the game. But I think the OCAA has certainly grown a lot in parity with U sports, not, not so much with uh, all of it, but I mean, I think coaches with their knowledge and, transcending that onto their athletes has been has been really immense uh, i think club volleyball has helped but just knowledge I, I, probably uh probably the internet and podcasts like you're doing right now which i really appreciate uh certainly empower coaches with knowledge and knowledge is power and i think it's important yep no i appreciate that so you started coaching in 92 yeah, I was coaching uh, the Lady V's club team at Laurentian in 1992. So yeah. if my math is right, you're you're 32 years in as a coach. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That and is. I, I didn't do the math, but yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So. Whoa, that's incredible. Okay, well, well appreciate that. Not that is nuts. Um, <laughs> you've been coaching as long, almost as long as I've been born. Like that is unreal. That's I wish I would have shaved. I wish I would have shaved. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let, let's let's talk about um I want to start the conversation talking about block, uh single block coverage and things like that. I mean, the we when you we had that conversation, I was blown away. So let's let's paint the picture for our viewers. You know, in this game, offense is the well, volleyball is designed for offense to win. It's it's not it's an offensive predominant sport. And in our game, if you're in system. In theory, you should have a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to score, and you should score nine out of ten times. So, when we talk about single block coverage, um, how do you teach your athletes 
from a technical standpoint on how to block a ball one on one. Yeah, and I have to I have to preface it. I I think for all coaches out there, I think I think blocking is probably the hardest skill in volleyball to teach. Uh right. because you know <laughs> what we think about how to block, I think it comes to first read, second read. So, I mean, the first read, uh, there's a lot to it. I think it has to do where the ball's going. What are you watching? So uh, if you're talking about an outside uh, blocker, so doing a five-man drill, so excluding the middle at this point. So doing solo blocks, let's say on the left side. Um, so that'd be your right side or your setter trying to block the left side attacking. Um, right. The first read, of course, I, I would teach what's the angle of approach to where the ball is. A lot of people, if you ask blockers, and, and we talked about this, you know, if you ask blockers, are you watching the ball or are you watching the man? You know, they're like, I watch the ball. Well, when you're blocking, if you're watching the ball, Blocking should be your first line of defense. If you're watching the ball, you're already cooked. You have to watch the man. So right. angle of approach for the offense for defense is the first read. So if they're outside the pin, outside the court, um, you know they're coming in on an angle. A lot of players, if you watch a lot of uh, NCAA, OUA, OCAA, they're they are watching a lot of times they're watching the ball and that comes through video so i urge all coaches to have their athletes watch video because if the athlete says they're not watching the ball if their head's up they're watching the ball so i I think i call it trapping so if you see the the athlete go way outside predominantly your first read is probably going to be cross court so i say put your nose on the shoulder like taking a charge in basketball you want to be still you want to take that read you want to have your hands up and you want to put your shoulder your nose to the hitting shoulder that's your first read so if you go straight that's, up that's your that's your second read first read still first so read angle still. of appro- first read okay, so still. angle of approach watching the angle of approach of the attacker yeah find that attacker when he's coming in on the angle and yep. then we're going nose to shoulder nose to shoulder gotcha okay set I, I call it load so they're loaded they're there they have the read the first read the second part's difficult because the, the, a lot of blockers close their eyes and and coaches <laughs> it's hard what i would say is use a reverse camera to see if they're actually not doing it but but so you take the first read you're there you 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 jump when they jump now that's a little difficult playing at the oua level being a six foot tall left side, it was really hard blocking Jules Martin from, uh, you know, out West played on team Canada. He's six, nine. So you might have to leave a little earlier than later, but if you're watching the body language instead of the ball, you're going to get it. So that's, that's all the first read. The second read when you're in the air is I call it open elbow or closed elbow. So, if they keep their elbow in the cylinder of attack and you've taken the proper first read, all you have to do is turn, turn hands to mirror. So what I mean by mirror is pretend sunlight is coming at the mirror 
you want to turn your hands into the court as if you're turning a ray of sunlight. So thumbs up to the big guy, turn hands to mirror into the court. So you're cutting the court, you're chopping the court. The second read is if the elbow opens. So first read, you got him. You got him here. You got shoulder, nose to shoulder. Mm -hmm. You got the, got it turned. If you see the elbow turn, thumb down, then you have to adjust your hands to push inside. Because you're an outside block, you're trying to cut the court. You're trying to trap for the middle to close. Hopefully, mm -hmm. the middle comes and closes. But you want to you want to ISO that you are the solo block. You are the one cutting the sun on your own. So okay, so let me walk you that. That was really good. Yeah. yeah. So we have a situation where the second. Well, let's talk about the second read. So first read we got angle of approach. Um, most of the time they're going to come in from outside the court. Line yourself up with the hitter, nose to shoulder. So you're putting your nose to their attacking shoulder. Yes. Uh, you want to be in a loaded position, and ideally you should be in the air when they're in the air. That's okay. Right. So your second read now is interesting. So we have an open elbow situation and we have a closed elbow situation. So right. a closed elbow essentially would mean that they're swinging in the direction that they're going. Like, or if they're, or like line in theory, uh, like they're swinging on the line. initial read. Yep. On the initial read. So because their elbow is not open, they're going straight on the angle they're coming in on. And then if you have that, you don't have to do much because you're already nose to shoulder. And then you just have to, turn in or whatever would you say ha turn hands to mirror yeah so you make your hands as if you make your hands as if they're a mirror like a mirror on the wall to yeah. sunlight coming so if sun's coming straight on you're going to go straight down if right. you want you want to turn to a higher percentage block you turn into the court so you shade the sunbeam back into the court so and you that Right, and that's dependent on whatever angle he's coming in on. That's right. The part that I did miss is this: if you stand straight up, true, thumbs up in the air, and you stand true, that's straight on. The way to create that mirror is because you want to press, is you want to tuck your chin. All right. Now I'm talking about being the right side blocking the left side. Right. If I'm blocking like this, all you do is tuck your chin to your left armpit. If you do that, your thumbs turn automatically. So right. tuck your chin to your left armpit, because if you're blocking a right. left side, then you're going to be blocking in the court naturally. If you put your chin to your left armpit, got that's you. Right. So okay. the opposite, the opposite for your left side's blocking a right side. If they, if they've trapped it properly on the first read and the elbow stays in the cylinder, you would tuck, to the right shoulder, so you turn in. Right, right, right. Eyes, okay. eyes open, nose to shoulder. Okay, gotcha. So, um, so if they're coming in and they're they're not, you know, their elbows are are, are basically your elbow, your closed elbow. They're going straight on. You do exactly what you just said. If they open their elbow, so for listeners that are, can't, if you you might have to visualize this, if an attacker is swinging and their elbow opens up outside their body, like it's not in line with their kind of close to their torso it's now it's coming outside the body generally that means that the thumb is going to go down and they're going to you know hit cross and if they hit cross now what was your answer to that so if they're hitting cross and, and it's outside of your first read then you got to press hands to the elbow 
press hands to the elbow. Okay. Press hands to the elbow. So your your hands are gonna so when your hands are being pressed to where the elbow is located on the hitter? Right. So remember, we're we're on the shoulder right now. Yes. So if you think if you think everything's lined here, when I turn, then you gotta press your hands to, to the split elbow. the elbow. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Tuck tuck more. You have to tuck more to tuck cut that. More to, cr- that to angle. cut the mirror. Cut make the mirror cut that ray. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm. Look at this mirror example. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So let's just recap. This is really good stuff. So we have two situations. We have an attacker that's going to swing line or an attacker that's going to swing cross. If the attacker swings line, his elbow's in. Once once we're once we're on the second read. Is it safe to say that our blockers are looking at the elbow? Yes. Second okay. read's elbow. So second read is elbow. So now we've we've already found the line, the angle of approach, nose to shoulder. We're loaded. We jump. Now the blocker is looking at the elbow. If the elbow doesn't come outside the body, if the elbow stays inside the body, they're going to go line. Therefore, we're in. Thumbs up. Fingers out. Press. And uh, are we still doing the tucking chin thing? You can tuck straight down. Tuck straight down. Ah, oh, I got you. So the, the so the thumbs stay true so because a lot of times, like uh, you know, it's really important because if 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 they're coming in, and they're going to wipe. You got to make sure that that outside hand is turned in because you're still cutting the angle to the pin. So right. you still have that part, uh, right? So your hands are going to be positioned like that to the pin, or right. if you're on the other side, like that. Right. But you got to you got to tuck. To seal because you want to you want to press the shoulders right you tuck your chin you press right but the second read if they're going cross you still tuck but you got to press hands now to to make that envelope right. around the ball right yeah. so the second option is if you if you're focused on the elbow and the elbow goes out now you know it's cross now you right. tuck into your left armpit if you are right side blocking the left side Right. You tuck into your left armpit, and that by default, your body will then turn your your hands and wrists will turn into the court, and you'll create that angle, that sunshine angle you talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that is I have never heard any coach explain it like this. That is fantastic. Okay, goes that back makes... to elementary teaching, I think. I don't know. Yeah, no, you no, know, no, you got you got to make it fun. You got to make it relative for the athletes. Yeah. And then let's just go opposite now. Let's say we have a right side attacker and we are a left side blocker. So we're blocking the right side attacker. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same thing, just opposite. You want to go through that? Yeah. So you, when you load, blockers load. And you know what? I In our game against Fanshawe this weekend, I, I watched a lot of video and they do a lot of uh, uh, foot movement to adjust, which was, in, was impressive. Um, if you watch... Um, our game against Fanshawe, actually, Corey Forrest does a lot of micro adjusting as a middle, which mm-hmm. was great because we're just talking about outside blockers right now. Middle blockers, that's a whole different scenario because they have to transition so much further. Talk about rolling shoulders. But right. finishing that mirror thing is huge where you finish, even if you're going past the outside blocker, you finish your thumbs up, but you're mirroring towards the court. So right side, blocking a right side is the same thing. The outside blocker has to set, I call it set the pistol, where they're setting, taking the charge, nose to shoulder. Yep. Now you're going to tuck the other way. 
So they have to tuck their chin to their right, right. armpit at right. the end, sealing the line so you reach. A lot of times I was I was taught this by uh, Garth Pischke. Um, we used to do a blocking drill where they tied a parachute cord from aerial to aerial. So when you're blocking, a, a lot of people think they're blocking high and then pressing. It's not that. Uh, he ta taught me that pretend you're trying to cut the water off Niagara Falls. So, you know, the falls, there's rock under there. Mm -hmm. You want to cut the water like this and right. then press. So he used like a 45 water. Yes, he used the yeah. water analogy. And then I incorporated the mirror analogy where you're cutting the water and pushing. So if you have that parachute cable, let's say you got an athlete that jumps 40 inches. Yeah. Well, if they jump up and then they press like this, the ball comes down inside. Right. You want to jump, seal the charge, right? Seal the shoulder mm -hmm. and then tuck the mirror. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you're, you're essentially your hand, your hand movement is going at a 45 degree angle up not you're not going 90 and then over you're going 45 right. and over that way you're, you're you're penetrating in that motion so there's a minimal space between the net and your arms and that way it can and then when you tuck now you're creating a that that sunshine effect that's and a really then, cool analogy then thumbs up to wrap the ball thumbs Thumb, up up yeah to wrap the thumbs ball. are up i can wrap right. with, with with both hands or one hand both, both. hands yeah, well, okay. I mean, that's that's another discussion. I mean, if you have if the middle's late, then they want to they want to reach and press with one hand, but they want to still make that mirror. So they want the hand pointing to the least amount of uh, um, error, which is into the court. So they want to reach and press. To right. Point, you know, cut, make the mirror image. Right. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So back to your question, blocking that way, the outside, the outside pin always seals for the middle to close. And so if you can work on five man drills where you have uh, right side versus left side blocking without the middle, when right. you add the middle, if the, if the outside pin blocker can take the most amount of area, then the middle is an added bonus, right? So, so give me an example of a drill you would do to help train, um, like one-on-one -on -one blocking. So we do a drill, uh, especially with um, spin serve and float serving. I would have elevated box float serving and then serving machine uh, spin serving, where you just have five man. It also mm -hmm. incorporates defense, but the biggest thing is you're concentrating on one-on-ones on the pins. So you would have five versus five yep, and no middle blocker. You could have the middle blockers on the elevated boxes serving. Mm -hmm. And then you have the down balls coming from the serving machine. Mm -hmm. But let's say it's going to uh, the left side or the right side. You focus on first read, second read. So first read, shift feet to take the angle, shift yeah. nose to shoulder. Yeah. And then you work on when they elevate at the same time as the other, as the hitter. Yeah. And they take first read angle, 
press to second read if they have to. And then you're able to press a second read. Yeah, I got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really cool way of uh, of teaching it. And with this drill, it's just five on five. You go at it. Is there like a score or you just, or it's just a matter of just getting reps? You can incorporate, I mean, different times of the year. I mean, you could just do reps or you could incorporate uh, five balls each and see who's most successful at blocking. Mm-hmm. And then later on in the year, you could add red zones. So uh, you can do five man where uh, one team or whatever team gets to 23 first, um, they have to finish to 25 or they go back to 18. All right. Um, yeah. So this is a really cool one. I did this in my gym after you told me about this too. Uh, so you have 1818. So you start at 1818. Yep. Right. 1818, um, regular volleyball. And then when a team gets to 23, they have to finish the game at 25. They if they close. don't, they go back down to 18. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's good. Fires it up. Fires it up. Yeah, no, no, it's good, especially when you and then I and then I like your your mod your modification. I, I think this is I, I did this too, but correct me if I'm wrong. So we started at fourteen fourteen. You told me okay. this for to to work on both a good start and to close. So fourteen fourteen, you have to get um. You have to get to seven, so you have to get three points in a row. This is what we did. I don't know if this is what you told me. You have to get three points in a row to get to seventeen. That's your checkpoint. Once you get to seventeen. Then it's regular volleyball until 23, where you have to close. Is that what you did? Is that what you guys That's do? I don't right. know. That's okay, right. yeah. yeah. So, so imagine this, listeners. So 14-14, regular volleyball. The one team has to get three points in a row to get to 17. And then that's your that's your checkpoint. And then after that, you play regular volleyball. You don't go, you don't drop below 17. And then when you get to 23, you have to close. If you don't, you drop to 18. That's right. So we did that. So it, what it did, it, it trained us to like have a strong start. And then to finish strong as well. And then the middle was that. That's I don't know. That's what we did. The other part you can add to that that I've done in the past is you can add a money ball. So if oh, you have cool. a, if you have a different colored ball, uh, that ball's worth two points. Or oh. or if that ball's in play, uh, the team that scores with that ball can steal the other team's points between eighteen and twenty three. Get out of here. So, so like you you imagine you're down uh, two points and the money ball comes in and the team that's ahead doesn't score and you do, you get their points. Right. The, ah, the, the money the ball. Difference. I love it. But that is I, creative. I think the biggest thing that I learned and you had mentioned earlier in the podcast about soccer. I mean, I played OUA soccer for. Whoa, whoa. Uh, you played OUA soccer? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I went back when I was uh, 28. I played two years. I actually got OUA second team all-star at 29 Get years out of old. here. That's crazy. But one of the coolest things about uh, doing the coaching symposiums and courses through soccer is um, they do uh, a skill. The practices are set up that you have a skill. You have uh, a tactic. You have unopposed and opposed. And I think a lot of things that happens if if you're running a, let's say, a blocking practice like we just talked about, mm-hmm. you're not stopping your practice ever unless it has to do with blocking. Like if they run the ball down and it's a bad pass or if they miss their serve, 
you're not stopping practice because the focus of your practice that night is about blocking. Mm -hmm. So the other stuff that is going on in that practice, I mean, it's not that you don't worry about it as a coach, but you're not stopping the practice to discuss things unless it's about the tactic or the skill that day. Okay. So I think, I think when, because, because we had mentioned earlier that blocking is such a hard aspect to teach and to learn. Imagine you're stopping practice for serving or passing when you're trying to focus on something as hard as blocking. So I think that through soccer training, you know, being um, president of uh, the Nipissing Soccer Club here, I think Soccer Canada, when they set up their modules, because, you know, we look at overlap from other sport. Mm-hmm. I think that really helped my coaching because, you know, often I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, like that's a bad pass. That That's a bad serve. That's this, but it helps you set up your practice that this is the focus. And when you're doing your practice plan, if it if it's about, let's say, blocking like we're talking about, mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we're not worrying about the stuff we can't control that night. It's about the stuff we can, which is that part. So, so you said skill, tactic, unopposed, and opposed? Right. So let's say we're just doing movement without a ball yeah. for blocking. Then we do movement with elevated boxes, perhaps. Right. Uh, and then we do movement with a hitter, but there's no defense, which is unopposed. Yeah. And then, oh, opposed, then opposed would mean you're going at it with defense. You're back and forth. Yeah, no, I like that framework. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, let's um okay, we got some time left here. Let's let's kind of get get our listeners into into a coach hopper practice. So, how um, you know, how do you structure your practices? You know, how what what does a, a typical practice look like for you? So, uh I guess I'll have a question back. Are we talking end of season, mid season, yeah, beginning no, season. That's that's true. Okay, let's let's go let's go all three. Let's go beginning season, mid season, end season. Go ahead. So, I think uh beginning of season, you would certainly have if we're talking about blocking, you would certainly have a lot more elevated box controlled uh movement to tactical finish, which is the mirror. Uh, perhaps on the boxes you have, uh, the guys that, uh, they have the mitts on, right. You have the boxing gloves on to, to get around the ball. Hey, do Uh, you have the, do you have those mitts in your practice? The blocking mitts? Yes. Where do you get them from? Uh, sports check. Uh, Like, like not gloves, like actual, like, you know, the volleyball mitt pad things. Yeah, they're, have... well, they're boxing gloves. Like, so when I when I used to do taekwondo, they oh had, my goodness, they that's the what they are. Gloves. They're the boxing pads. Yes, I'm yes. such an idiot. So okay. you have you have the guy, the blocker on the box, trying to cut the angles. Right, read, second read. Um, Mid season, you would have uh, like a free ball uh, situation where there's no gloves now and. You know, that that's another podcast where you talk about how to teach rip and high hands with outside yeah. blockers. So you have the guys with the, the gloves. So the retro versus the guys are ripping and they're trying to go off the off the gloves and out. Right. Um, and then I would say in the last part of the season, you're doing the five on five stuff. You're doing 
you're doing where it's uh, technical tacticals done. You're doing full opposition to like full rip. Okay. In terms of like your structure, like let's say for for like let's let's say we're not talking about blocking. We're just in general your overall structure of a practice. Like you you start off doing five minutes of this, ten minutes of this, and you transition to this. Like how how do you set up your practices, both beginning, middle, end? I really and I really look at timing. I would say at the beginning, at the beginning of the year, you want to trap time. So your practices are probably an hour and a half in the first thirty of your season. Um, so I w- always start with uh, uh, I have four four phases of warm up, uh, isometric, I have skipping, I have, and then you go into pepper, two man, and then three man pepper, which is huge. Doing high low, three man pepper. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I would go into like, uh, I would go into serve and pass, or I'd go into a tip it wipe drill. And then I have basically, uh, the topic of the night would be two drills mm-hmm. with competition at the end. In the middle part, I would, I would lower everything to go to an hour and 20 similar drills. And then let's say the last two weeks, like you were preparing and I was preparing for playoffs. Yeah. Uh, my week really changes where Tuesday would be my long practice at, at an hour and 15. Yeah. Wednesday would go down to an hour. Thursday would go to 50 minutes. Serve and pass on Friday would be 40 minutes to, oh, I see. to, to bring it together. But mm-hmm. always, I would say first, third, three drills middle part two and a half drills if you want to talk about timing and then the latter part would just be two drills and sometimes one but always high volume of contact in the first third uh with system structure middle part of the season would be uh you know synergy with offense to defense transition Oh, sorry. One thing I always, always speed ladders, foot speed. I would say that due to COVID, um, the body kinesthetic of male athletes right now is pretty slow. So synergy between central nervous system and, uh, you know, muscle output is not quite there. And then Mm -hmm. the end of practice, we always have breathing techniques, ice baths, all that sort of stuff to bring the central nervous system back online. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, Okay. Because you talked about it, I'm I'm actually curious. I know this is supposed to be an off uh, a defensive block workshop or session rather. Talk to me about your uh, your swinging when you have a sealed block. So talk a bit about the high hands, or or you how how you go and cross, etc. So let's say hypothetical, you know. We have uh, we'll go both, one on one, and one on two, and one on three. So there you go. There's three things, unless it changes between two to three. Right. So is this without watching film or? But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is without watching film. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, that's so, a great distinction. This is without watching film. So I think one of the things that are lacking, I, I had mentioned earlier that, you know, being a six foot left side in the OUA, I mean. I remember my first game playing against Queens. I'm going against David Cantor, who's a six foot nine setter. I, I said to him, I said, your elbows are going to get pretty raw today because I think when outside hitters, when they're approaching to hit, 
I call it like the Scantron. So your first option has to be cross because the middle is coming from the middle. If your middle has ISOed and held the middle because it's a good pass, we're talking in yeah. system. We're talking in system, yeah. In system. I'm looking cross to start because if the middle's on time, that's your best shot. Right. So I go middle, scan, six, scan, line one, scan. If everything's closed, high hands or mm -hmm. roll pot. What I mean is yeah. elbow up, down the middle, into the pot. And if that's not there, then then oh, sharp four. I think, and then we're talking with a loop tempo. So we're talking yeah. about like a 13 tempo. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that would be, I call it Scantron. And that that chink shot cross, you know, open elbow cross into four. That's tough, is, yeah. Is your last resort. Uh, high hands on the angle is probably the best bet or it's uh press if you see loose hands we call it loose hands so if the blocker yeah. has loose hands yeah then you're pushing and wiping yep okay so now i'm write this down loose hands loose hands yeah and we talk about that it you know they have loose hands that means that you know tooling line is probably the easiest shot right so you're are you saying that when when you get set you're scanning middle six and line all I start start scanning four or five that's the start set scanning coming. four or five okay uh-huh so you're start scanning scanning four or five if the middle's late six if it if oh if, you're talking about where you're gonna hit the ball yeah yeah oh yeah. okay so if the middle's late six and then, and, sorry, if you, and then if you see the outside block is on the inside, yes. you crack line. You crack if line, all yeah. that's gone, high hands, last resort, chink four. Okay. Now let's talk a little technical here. How do you teach the high hand shot? So I had mentioned it earlier. The high hand shot is with the double block on yep. boxes with the gloves. So is there anything technical about it? Or you just say, hit the ball off the hands high and make him chase. If you see, if you see, if, sorry, if you don't see holes anywhere. Yeah. You either rip high hands yeah. or you roll hands to recycle. Right. So as the six foot left side going up against a six, nine little blocker, for example, you probably saw that a ton of times in your playing days. Yeah. Did you, um, what what made you an effective outside hitter? Well, I would have to give tribute to Mark Dunn. Mark Dunn was my mentor. He played for well, he played at the same high school as me, Whitfield High School, mm -hmm. but he played at U of T and Team Canada. He he showed me how to do the outside in approach. So you would you would approach and jump inside, but drift outside to scan, and so. Okay it gave you a little more time to to see where perhaps there's holes or loose hands and it was pretty effective i mean i got caught probably more times than 
Oh, for sure. More times than he ever did, but it creating that, that distance uh, to have more time to, to see where you could go made a big difference, but scanning, mm-hmm. scanning on the way, you know, you're getting a tempo ball. So coaches right. need to establish what the tempo is mm-hmm. so that hitters can establish how they scan. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps. Uh, but again, tonight we're talking about blocking. If, if you have good blocking, um, which I would say, like I said, it's the hardest skill. If right. You, if you have a good blocking team, then you can set your defense up behind it. Uh, right. But I think that creating that distance to scan more times, like to, to, to have a look at things helped me a lot. Yeah. Interesting. So when you say scan, you're like, I mean, the, the setter releases, your eyes are on the ball. So are you scanning your peripheral? Yes, very much yeah. so. You're scanning your peripheral. Okay. And your outside hitters leaving when the balls, I call it, I call it frosted lucky charms. So when the ball is terms the, for everything, man, that's what, so crazy. When I the, love it. When the ball's at the top of the rainbow, uh-huh. that's, that's when you got to leave. Like that's when you start your approach, whatever the tempo is at the top of the rainbow, you go like after the set of releases. Yeah. So, so no matter what, if you're setting, let's say you're setting a 13 to, we call it black. Okay. So if you're setting a 13 to the left side, Mm-hmm. right if you make a rainbow like this whenever the ball is at the top of the rainbow you go isn't that That's... aren't they going to be late to the ball going so late no i think so it depends on your tempo i mean i guess it depends on your tempo i mean if you're setting an 11 i mean you got to get on the go when it's in his hands depending on your setter but i like i mean i like loop balls off the net to start so the hitter can be a hitter. Right. And for our listeners, just, just, I mean, most of you know what this is, but just in case you don't, the number system that Mark's referring to. So uh, on a volleyball net, there are nine zones. A volleyball net is nine meters long. So every, every meter is a zone. So starting with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, et cetera. So when you mentioned the 13, that's in zone one, the first number represents the, the location on the net. And then the second number represents the height of the set. So a three ball is a pretty, you know, good tempo four would be the highest that we'd, we'd see probably unless you're talking like really really high ball high ball is different there's no really number for that um <laughs> but a, but a 13 or an 11 like you mentioned there an 11 is basically like an outside shoot you're 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 gone and so there's just uh just in case you're confused about the number system it's a universal by the way it's a universal number system that's used around the world the the u.s is the only one that's kind of changed it a little bit but um but internationally that's 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 what's what's known so yeah that's really good uh that's really good. So that means your your guys are fast on the ball. If it's at the top of the rainbow, they got to be fast on the ball to get there. I just think, I just think, but, but I mean, that doesn't mean, so <laughs> if they're leaving at the top, they've already scanned where the middle is. Right. Okay. They can already, they can already sort of predetermine if they're going to go. And, and when you get there, all you're doing to hit line is cut it with your shoulder. You can cut it early, right. As to our blocking. So if I'm cutting early, my elbow opens, right. Yes. If I'm letting it come to me and staying true, then I'm probably cracking six or one. 
Okay. Got you. Okay. Um, a couple more for you before we let you go. Um, you know, 32 years, so I can only imagine the experience that you have. What would you say is your like zone of genius? The, you know, one thing that Hopper does that, you know what, this, this, this gives me a little more than maybe my fellow competitors. What do you feel? What are, what are you most confident? With? I'm not sure really. I mean, I think so many, there's so many good coaches out there. I agreed. I like, well, I mean, I play against you. Mm -hmm. What would you say it is? What, what's one thing? Maybe, maybe this insight would help me answer that question. I'm not sure. For us, every time we play you, you guys are one of the most uh, prepared teams that we play against. Like, you we like you know well we know rather that you you guys have done your homework and you've put together a game plan that has to make us do like make adjustments like when we do our we have our scouting report you know we do our stuff and that's fine and and again we we also know that other teams are going to do scouting reports on us so one thing that we do is um I'll have one assistant coach do a scouting report for the other team so I look at film regardless they'll do it I'll I'll take a look at it. We'll check it over, and then we'll send it out to the team 24 hours prior to game time. Another assistant coach will do a scouting report on us based on the last game to see what what our opposing team is going to look at and say, okay, what are they going to exploit? So we do both, and we see if there's any anything that we could fix or adjust. And sometimes there's nothing. Like we have a great middle, and we know that they're going to key in on him. We're like, okay, that's fine. You have you have to stop us in that case, which you guys did. Um, so I think for us. Uh, we we know when we play against good coaching, and I think the the preparation that you guys had against us was was the best prep that we've seen this season. So I'll say that uh, I probably watch about three hours of film per team that we play. Maybe might be less, might be more. Okay, and I think matchups are important at our level. Um. But the interesting part is this. Uh, I think when you have, let's say in a, in a best case scenario, uh, we, when we play each other, we, we have our matchups. We say, okay, yeah. this should work. This should work. This should work. Right. I think at the end of the day, and I got asked this by coach Dodd from Guelph many years ago, he said to me, What's the most important skill in volleyball? Is it serve or is it receive? And you know what? It happened to me this weekend. Uh, it's happened time and time again. If matchups are perfect, yeah. if you've done your homework at whatever level, yeah, it all comes down to serve and pass. <laughs> like, I, I hate to say it, like all the analytics, all the video, all the the stuff we do if if everything is the same yeah it comes down to that yeah I, I i do spend a lot of time on right shoulder left shoulder uh who you're gonna serve to to see where they go i uh, you know mentors and and i would say you're a mentor of mine too like every Likewise. time we have conversations we grow mm -hmm. i think it's really important like serving short into two when the setter's penetrating from from a four uh 90% of the time the ball is getting set to the left side you know i learned that from uh coach lynch uh from st clair his son told me that and i couldn't believe it like 
this is a older player, they're already shifted over to the left side because they knew they, right. they didn't even they didn't even bother with the the C ball or the middle. They just knew it was going there. And so I just I think yeah, uh, you asked me about what is it? I knowledge is power. So right. and you know what I used to do, Brian, is I used to well we do we do video on uh, Thursdays if we play Saturday. Same. But I think the athlete has to have the onus and the awareness piece yes. uh, of being able to watch the video on their own. Intrinsically, yeah. they have to say, okay, five likes to do this. You, talk, you talked about your middle and what we did. What I said to my middle that was in the matchup, which comes from you know, scouting and knowing your rotation is, your your middle was is a prolific middle. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he stays in his cylinder, he's going straight ahead. Right. So that's the middle's job is to take that first read. Right. If perhaps that middle is feeling uncomfortable and he wants to cut and do a second read, then you got to press that way. Right. But that doesn't come without the athlete doing their own intrinsic learning they have to watch video uh because that's the only way you're going to learn right yeah i i I put that on them i say look it i i will put notes in our uh video analysis for them to look at but then they have to empower themselves with seeing what their opposition does and so good teams will switch that or flip that or so then if everybody has knowledge, then the growth of the team is better. Right. No, no, I 100% agree. Do you guys have any special software you use for film? Well, we're using Huddle, probably like you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of teams on the West are using Volumetrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope to be able to use that next year. Yeah, uh, we're, we're using it as well. It's, I know it's an added cost, but... Yeah. I think it's important, um, but it comes down to time. I mean, I know, yeah. I know you spend a lot of time too, um, and it's just tendencies. If you can cut down the tendency and mm-hmm. set your defense around it, like mm-hmm. you said, volleyball is about offense. I agree, but how you set up the defense behind it with read, react, execute, I think is important. Do you spend a lot of time working block defense in your gym versus offense? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I thought so. No, that's I good. Think, I think, I mean, to be honest with you, like I, like you had mentioned before, being an undersized left side, everybody can hit, everybody can tip you hope. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately this weekend we had too many errors uh, on offense, but mm-hmm. if you can reduce the errors and continue the play, defense is going to prevail nice okay all right let's do a quick recap we're getting close to the end here um so 32 years unbelievable that's crazy Uh, (laughs) that's great uh so we talked about the fact that blocking is the hardest it's the hardest skill in the sport to teach um we talked about the first read being what's the angle of approach and making sure that we are uh nose to shoulder we find the feet nose to shoulder on 
the angle of approach. We are loaded and we have to be in the air when they're in the air. Then the second read is looking at the elbow. So if we have a closed elbow, um, you're going to go straight up with that elbow, thumbs up, and we're going to press and tuck your chin directly below you, like right into your chest, and go forward and get that block. If they turn that elbow or open that elbow out, then you know they're going to go cross. And in that case, <clears throat> you have to tuck your chin to the direction that they're going. So if, if, it, if you're blocking a left side attacker, you're going to tuck your chin to your left armpit and hopefully close. I love the mirror example. Like that's such a good analogy. You're going to try to, and when you tuck your chin into your left armpit and have your thumbs up, naturally your body or your, your hands are going to curve into the coordinate and create that, that reflection, that angle of reflection that is going to be nice with that sunshine. I love Seal that. the falls. Seal Niagara Falls. Seal Niagara Falls. So at a 45 degree, degree, degree angle, your hands are going to be penetrating uh, over that net to, to get a good solid block. So there's no space between your hands and the net. Absolutely. Um, then we talked about, so blocking right side is just the exact opposite. Same thing. If they're going to go cross, you're going to tuck your chin to your right armpit. So that way we can close that, that cross court out. And we want our thumbs to wrap the ball. That's as you said it, uh, just making sure your thumbs are up. And when you do that, you can wrap the ball. Uh, the drill that you used is elevated box. So we can have, you know, players or coaches on an elevated box. Uh, if, if coaches don't have a serving machine, you could just do down ball or float on either side, five on five, and it's going to be set to a pin. And we get a chance to work on these cues and these, these, uh, all this technical game. And as coaches look for these cues, like these are, these are really good awareness of like, are, is their head up? Well, then they're ball watching. They're not looking at the hitter. You know, are they tucking their chin in and are they doing the, the are they looking for the elbow? They look, making that read and then acting on that read. So it, it's going to take time, but it, it absolutely will, uh, will come. And, I, and I'll tell you just, you know, I, I, I started having my athletes start doing that kind of stuff too. And it took, it took some time, but by like week two, they're, they're, they're figuring it out slow and steady. They're starting to get more comfortable with that and starting to make better reads. The, the game that we talked about was uh, start 18, 18. Regular volleyball, when the team gets to 23, they have to finish. If they don't finish, they drop back to 18. Um, I like I love the money ball. You threw you said throwing a money ball in there. It could be worth two points, or you could steal your other the other team's point, which is kind of cool. That's Coach uh, Wilkie, we talked about by your... the way. That's Coach Wilkie. Oh, that's Wilkins? Get out of here. Well, I, I mean, he does money ball, so you can you can yeah. you know you can have two or three balls, but the money balls to steal the points. So I incorporated that into the end zone game. Ah, uh, nice. I love it. If you get to 23, you got to finish. Yeah. If if not, you go back to 18. And then if you have the money ball, the other team gets the difference of those points. Yep. Right, right. No, I love it. Maybe we talk about your your soccer background a little bit. We, we talked about the skill, tactic, unopposed, and opposed to go in that, that I think. So we work on the skill and the tactic, then have defense and uh, no defense. Or no, no defense, then defense. Uh, then we talk about practice, uh, basically four phases of warm up that you had. Then you got a two man pepper, three man pepper. Um, I like the way that you describe this high volume of contact with system structure at the beginning. What a way to word that. That is like, you put that on a t-shirt. That's amazing. Uh, serve and pass. Um, and then you talk, talked about two competitive drills at the end, two competition drills at the end. Uh, what else? We talked about the way that you structure your mid-season, beginning season. So mid-season, beginning season is like at the beginning, uh, a little bit more like technical stuff. And then we start tapering off to more competition. Um, offense. I like this one. So first option is cross to start, providing you're in system. 
which makes sense, right? Middle blocker is going to be held and you got to go unless they, unless they commit to a left side or something. Um, so we look for the middle, we scan six and we scan line. So see what options are available for you. If the middle is late, you got six. If the pin blocker is pinching inside, you probably have line. So scanning. Um, and then if that, and if everything's, you know, if everything's sealed, you go high hands, you shoot, you make that shot to four loose hands. That's a really good one. If you, if you notice a blocker has loose hands, use them. Just swipe off the hands. Might be the easiest shot in the world if you can do that, if they're not you know penetrating or even strong hands for that matter. This was, this was a cool one. When the ball is at the top of the rainbow, that's when you go. Never heard of that before. That's really cool. Um, and, then we, and then the last thing you mentioned was the most important skill comes down to serving and passing. Comes down to serving and passing. And I like this. Uh, I've, I've never heard this before, was when you serve short to two, when the setter is coming from four, it is always a left side set. I have never heard that before. I, I, I'm going to pay attention to that now. I want to see if that ever happens. I'm going to like look for that setter in four and see what happens. That's really cool. So I'm not. I'm not going to say this, but go back and and watch our games against each other. Okay. And, and when you have your big middle, that's when that can be effective. Hmm. <laughs> right. No. No. That's man. That is interesting. Okay. Uh two more, and then we're out of here. So okay. I always um I always ask uh, every every guest that's on here if you could have dinner with anybody in the world dead or alive who would it be and why hmm. Well I'd probably love to have dinner again with my grandfather he's passed away he's uh yeah you know he helped me grow up and uh he was in the war and the oh, wow. stories he, he shared stories with me that he didn't share with anybody else because they're the silent generation right they didn't talk about things but he talked about them with me and you know right. the stories that he told me like you know the one story he told me was you know when he had a day off from the war so did the germans and and so if you went to a pub uh there were two things two cues uh if you offered someone a drink and they said, no, you followed them. And when you got introduced with them, if they didn't shake your hand, you followed them. And so I think a lot of those old stories are, are, you know, important people are people. And I think communication and having conversation with people is really important. So right. I would, I would love to have dinner with him again. Right. No, fantastic answer. And uh, last one, if last piece of advice uh, for coaches out there any 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 what what has been like the either the best advice someone's given you or the best advice if you can go back to your earlier days what would you tell yourself i think i think the biggest thing that has helped uh my coaching is i also have a coach i use uh coach plus glenn kendary and i think i think the hardest part is when you ask or they ask you the hard questions, for example, uh, this weekend, or, you know, two years ago, we lost to a uh, uh, redeemer to go to nationals. You know what, at 12 o'clock at night, he called me and he said, I have to ask you this. He goes, why'd you lose? And what he said to me is you have to journal, you have to write it down. You have to intrinsically ask yourself, why did that happen? I think, I think that gives coaches growth and being able to talk on how to improve with other coaches. I think a lot of times we, 
we get rid of we have a stigma that oh it's all secret it's not secret i think uh mindset growth and having these types of conversations is will make the sport better but it also makes the coach better so i think having someone to bounce things off before you go home to your family before you do other things i mean assistant coaches are going to say yes so you have to ask somebody that might say no. Right. And when you have those conversations, you get better. Right. No, I, I agree. I have I have my mentors and stuff too. Without them, I would be, even that one conversation I had with you that day, like I was blown away. I was like, I'm going to tell my guys this right now. This is crazy. So yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, well, listen, man, Mark, thanks so much for being here. Uh, listeners, you're going to have to, Listen to this a couple of times, take some notes. I have two pages of notes on my end, so I can only imagine what you guys would do. So if you were driving, you're gonna have to come back to this for sure. Cause there was a ton of great insight and things that even I've never heard of before. And I mean, I haven't been doing this for 32 years, but I've been doing this for 17. So, uh, it's definitely, uh, an episode that I think our listeners will appreciate and will be able to grow. And like I say, my promise to every episode is that you get tangible things to take back to your gym. And you definitely got some tangible things this episode. That's for sure. Final thoughts? Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, I really appreciated this. I, I hope uh, I hope I'm around. You asked me uh, when I was going to retire. I don't know if it's anytime soon, but uh, I <laughs> hope we continue to foster our friendship and our, uh, our coaching experiences to take our athletes to a different level. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, so I mean selfishly when you retire it's great because then i get then i don't have to worry about you guys anymore and no, i'm just kidding your program is going to be great regardless but yeah it's always fun coaching against you it's amazing well listeners thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the volleyball by design podcast i'll see you guys next week take care all right cue the music look are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey how would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better you could improve in weeks if not days when I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.